Okay, I want you to open your Bible with me. I'd like you to look with me in Ezekiel chapter 37. Ezekiel 37. I want to just share with you something to help us. And uh, we, we need to be hearing what God is saying. And what I want to share on is living with God's perspective. Living with God's perspective. Your perspective is how you look at things, how you think about things, how you view life. And we are used to living out of a human perspective. We're used to living out of a carnal perspective. We're used to living out of a world, a perspective shaped by the way the world thinks. And uh, when we look at things, we mostly, we live out of a negative viewpoint. We see negatives. You notice how easy it is for people to see and talk negatives. But you need to see this. When God sees people and situations, he sees them redemptively. Now, this is, a, this is a major mindset to shift because so many Christians are caught up in a legalistic thinking that when things are bad, well, God must be punishing them, or if things are difficult, then there must be some sin in your life. But God looks at situations, and he doesn't see it that way at all. God always sees it through who he is. He sees it through his character, which is a character of love. So when God looks at a situation... He sees it redemptively. In other words, he's seeing ahead what it will be as his hand comes upon it. That's a completely different way of looking at life. So God is always planning how to redeem and make something better, not how to punish it. You've got to understand that. Because I get a lot of people, and they get quite negative, and they talk about God judging this and God judging that. I've seen a lot of people over in America, so-called prophets, saying about God bringing judgment on this and that. Listen, Jesus came not to condemn, but to save. The heart of God is always to save. You look at someone who's a mess, you probably say, well, they deserved it. You look at someone who's got some problems, you say, well, you need to understand how you got yourself there. When God looks at someone in a mess, he's thinking, how can I save it? Boy, you've got a great potential. I want to help you get ahead. That's how God is always thinking. He never changes. The Bible says in Isaiah 55, he says, My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. They're better and bigger. See, my, my ways are bigger, better, higher than your ways. So when God is looking at people, circumstances, situations, he's always thinking redemptively, what can I do to help this? And our difficulty is we're stuck with a limited point of view. For example, I shared last week, Peter. Peter God spoke to him, and Peter said, well, I thought, my idea was that the Jews and the Gentiles never mix. So we thought that actually the blessings of God are just for us. God says, you've got to change. I've got a bigger heart than that. I want to include the whole world. Paul was looking at the church, and he's persecuting the Christians. He's thinking, man, I'm doing God a great favor. These people are bad. They need to be punished. And then his eyes were open. He said, oh, my goodness, what have I been doing? Think about it. Jeremiah. Well, Jeremiah, he had his way of thinking too. And his way of thinking was, I'm too young. I couldn't be a prophet. He's thinking, well, I don't even speak very well. I couldn't speak to anyone important. God says, stop thinking and stop speaking that way. I've got a bigger plan. It's a redemptive plan. It involves you. God always is thinking bigger than we have thought. So if we're going to see from God's perspective, we have to be willing to let go our opinion. Well, I think. Do you really? Well, what does God think? And what does God have to say about it? And I have found that New Zealanders on the whole are incredibly opinionated. Church people the most. Well, I think. Well, I think. Well, I think. Well, really. Actually, but what does God think? And what does God say? Because his ways are higher and they are different and he surprises us. 
Well, I thought that person is going to get punished by God now. Well, actually, no. God will pursue them in love because he still hasn't forgotten them and he still loves them. Come on, you've got to think right. You've got to get the thinking right. So if I'm going to think right, I've got to be willing to let go of my opinion and constantly with a humble heart say, God, help me to see things as you see them and respond as you want me to respond. Parents, you need to see your children as God sees them. Otherwise, you get wound up with teenage conflicts and you'll start to think you've grown a monster and wonder how that happened. You haven't grown a monster. Not at all. Look ahead and see this is only short-term season. This too will pass. Some of you, I can feel the unbelief from here. <laughs> Most of us, when we have problems, come, why me? Why is this happening to me? Oh, my goodness, why is this happening to me? You know, all that kind of thing. And the Bible says this, says in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, 19, it says, this light affliction, light affliction is only for a short time. So God, whatever trouble you're facing, it's called light, light, light. It's not heavy or big. It's light, and it's only for a short time. And get this, it says that it works for us an eternal way to glory. In other words, whatever you're facing, God's perspective is it's working for your good. Really? I just want it to be over. He says, no, 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 no. I want you to change. Then it'll be over. And he says, he says it works for us while, while we look at things, not the things which are seen, but the things which are unseen. Now here's the, and what is it saying is this. Whatever problems, difficulties, or challenges we're facing in life, the perspective you take is crucial. If you look at it from God's point of view, that, that he is there with you to help you, he's there to walk with you through it, he's there to grow you, and you're going to grow as a result of this and be more Christ-like, then this will work for good for you. My experience, when you see that scripture, uh, this light affliction works for good for us, I found that's not true of all Christians because it's conditional on me having the attitude of seeing life from God's point of view. In other words, if I look at the difficulties, pressures, and trials I have through the eyes that God is using every circumstance to grow me, then it works for my good and I grow. If I just look through the eyes of injustice, this is not fair. This is wrong. If I look through the eyes of offense, it won't work for me. It'll make me, it'll, it'll make me a bitter person. So you and I choose our perspective. Now, I want you to have a look with me in Ezekiel 37. And we're going to have a look at a situation which is totally hopeless and completely uh, 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 devastation in here. And yet, in the midst of it all, God asks the question, can these bones live? Now, you know the story, so we'll just read it briefly here. The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me by the Spirit of the Lord into the midst of the valley full of bones. And imagine that, a valley full of bones. And he caused me to pass by them all around. And behold, look at this, very many in the open valley and very dry. Boy, that sounds like a lot of people, doesn't it? And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? Now, of course, that's a trick question. This is a trick question. Because if you say, well, no, so why are you so negative? Why do you doubt my power? If he says, yes, well, how am I going to do it? How's this going to happen? So he says, well, you alone, Lord, know. <laughs> That's a smart move. Didn't, didn't get drawn in there. You alone know. And he said, well, prophesy to these bones and say, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord your God to these bones, I will cause breath to enter you. You shall live. You shall live. You shall live. Live! I speak that into my body every day. 
because it's, it's prophesying. Now, I want to take you through a few things in here. First thing is that the name Ezekiel means God will strengthen. God will strengthen. His, his background was he came from a background of shame and defeat and humiliation, but God will strengthen him. He had the hand of God on him to strengthen him. Notice it says the hand of the Lord was upon him. And other, what it means simply is this. It means that he allowed the Holy Spirit to influence him rather than circumstances. And that's a conscious choice to open your life in every situation to listen and expect God to speak to you. And so the hand of the Lord, meaning the Spirit of God, came upon him. Why we have worship is to let the Spirit of God come upon us. We know he's already in us. And so here's the thought, the first question I want to ask, who or what is influencing your thinking? Is it the Holy Spirit or is it circumstances? Is it injustices? Is it unfair things that have happened? Is it offenses? What is it that's influencing your thinking? God's heart is always to strengthen us. Isaiah 41, verse 10, he says, Ah, he's don't be afraid. I am with you. I will strengthen you. I will help you. And that's a word for many today. God wants to strengthen you, help you, and walk with you through difficulties. Now, let's have a look at the particular situation that he saw, the vision. Now, first of all, when God gives him, gives him a vision, it's because he's expecting him to respond and to interact with God's plan in this. And so the vision he got was a vision of a valley full of dry bones. He says there were very many and they're very, very, very dry. So when he, what he's seeing is this, and he saw, what he says, he looks down into a valley. In the Bible, there are many, many valleys. Whenever you see a valley in the Bible, it's always talking, or mostly, it talks about a place of conflict. So as I've read through and I've searched through all the valleys in the Bible, the majority of them were places where battles were fought. So when he says looking into the valley of dry bones, he's looking into a, a place where there has been conflict and there's been devastation, and people have been defeated in the middle of that. Uh, in the Bible, there are, let me give you some of the valleys without me just going through and telling you where they all are. You can find them for yourself. There's the valley of the shadow of death, where death comes, and there's great sorrow and fears and concerns about the future. There's the valley of Barca, the valley of weeping, where people have gone through distressing times, and they're grieving. Uh, there's the valley of Achor, meaning the valley of trouble, where people break the laws of God and experience bad consequences. There's the valley uh, uh, of Sorek, which is the place where Sa uh, Samson was tempted by Delilah, came under a Jezebelic power and fell and got blinded. So there's a valley there. There's another valley called the Valley of Rephaim, the place of giants, uh, where people of God met giants and were intimidated by them. There's the Valley of the Son of Hinnom, which is a place of idolatry. So every one of these valleys, there was an experience of conflict where people engaged spiritual powers and didn't always come off very well. Samson did not come off so well. But the valley of the shadow of death, David came through well because he said, I have made the Lord my shepherd and I'm following him. Hey? So you've always got a choice in a valley. So this valley here is another valley and it's the valley of dry bones. So he's, he's looking at a battlefield where there's been some contention and there are scattered bones, the consequences of a battle. It's not a pile of bones, they're just scattered where people have fallen in battle. Second thing, very, very many and very, very dry. So what he's speaking of, firstly, he's speaking of natural Israel, which by that stage was in bondage to its enemies. 
And so when he looked, he saw a spiritual uh, picture that was to represent a situation people were in. They were intimidated, they were enslaved, they were in bondage, they were defeated, they were in massive distress inside, they had faced a conflict. You and I face conflicts in life. Conflicts are inevitable. How we handle them is our choice and our decision. And so we face a spiritual conflict constantly. It's a pressure of demonic spirits, and they want to do these things. It's always the same. They want to strip your identity so you have no confidence in your standing as a child of God, and you come under the law believing perhaps I'm in trouble with God and I'm condemned for some fault, some failing, some mistake I've made. They come to steal away your inheritance in God, what God said could be your future. They come to steal away your faith in the Word of God. That's what happens. Now, this is something I've observed to Christians over many, many years. This last season for us has been a very difficult season, and I felt the Lord wants to speak to us specifically concerning it. Notice the condition of the people. You'll find it there in verse uh, 11, because when people are in a bad state, they always talk. Notice what it says. He said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel, or in other words, the church. And this is what they are saying. Whatever is going on in a person's life, They will talk about it. They'll either talk faith, talk Jesus, talk what God is doing, or they'll talk defeat. You're either talking from your spirit out of how God is moving and what God is doing and how you're responding, or you talk out of your soul, out of the emotions, out of the defeats in your soul. And this is what they're saying. They're talking out of the real defeats. Our bones are dry, our hope is lost, and we're ourselves are cut off. Notice the three things he's saying. Number one, our bones are dry. So what does that mean? In in your natural body, the bones are where the marrow is found, where the blood is generated. The bones are like a source of life for people. So if your bones are dried, how do bones get dried? Well, I'm glad you asked because the Bible tells us how the bones get dried. And it says here, a broken spirit drieth the bones. In other words, if your spirit is damaged, then the impact shows up in your body. That's why you find when people have gone through traumas or through difficult situations, sometimes they get sick. They get sick because their spirit is weakened and the consequences have shown up in their body. So how does your spirit get broken? Proverbs 15, 13, by sorrow of heart, the spirit is broken. And when the spirit is broken, then the bones dry up. So looking at this situation, what they're saying, something like this. I saw the condition of God's people and their spirit had been damaged by the conflicts they had been in and it was affecting their soul and their body so they felt dried up, desperately in need of a touch of God. And that would be where most of us are at have been through a season of difficulty. We may not have understood all that was involved. I've heard many things, but I can tell you now, it's been of a spiritual nature pushing against every one of us. Every one of us will have felt this and been affected in some way. And when you have spiritual warfare against you, it affects your spirit. And sometimes you just feel a deep grief. You can't explain it, but it affects you. And if it goes on too long and you don't get refreshed from the Lord, then it begins to dry up your spiritual life. Your prayer life dries up. The prophetic flow dries up. You begin to find you're in a spiritual dry place. And all you want is to be relieved from the pressure. Many people run away from where God has positioned them because 
they are, can't or don't want to handle the pressure. When pressure comes, you can either come into God and become stronger because he says when you walk through the waters, they will not overwhelm you. Go through the fire. It'll not consume you, but rather I, the Lord, your God, am with you. I will help you. I will hold your hand. I will strengthen you. That is a promise for every person in a difficult season. So the first thing they said was that. The second thing they said was uh, we are cut off. All hope is lost. Hope is lost. Hope is lost. Hope is crucial to the Christian life. Hope is the foundation for faith to form, and without faith we can't please God. Hope means I'm confident about the future. I'm looking forward to the future. The future is full of good things. The future is full of great things because God is with us. Now, we are called to be people of hope. To live with expectation. Listen, when you put expectation on God, He begins to come through and touch your life. Faith is the substance of the things we hope for. So if you've lost your dreams, if you've lost your expectations, if you've lost your hope, you won't be pressing into God, believing Him for new things to happen in your life. It is essential that we regain hope. Hope is lost because of disappointment. Hope is lost because things we hoped for didn't come about or they were delayed. Hope is lost when we get offended. There's all sorts of ways that hope is lost. The disciples on the road to Emmaus had lost hope and were going to a place where they'd feel comfortable. You and I, when we lose hope and we begin to see no hope for the future, we become despondent and start to draw back from God, draw back from His people. But the Bible says, Romans 15, 13, now God is a God of hope. What does it mean to have a God of hope? It means when he looks at your future, you're not saying you're in trouble, mate. I am going to cane you so hard, you'll bleed at the eyes. Now that's not what it means. It means God, when he looks at us, is thinking like this. I have great plans for you. I can come into every situation, turn it around, and you become a better person because of it. He said, I can come into your difficult circumstances because I'm a God of resurrection. And when everyone else says no hope, just watch what I can do. That's what God is like. When it says God is a God of hope, in other words, he says, I know the plans I have for you, plans not for punishment, but for good. That's how God thinks. A lot of Christians don't realize God thinks that way because they're caught up with old covenant thinking rather than actually understanding that God's thoughts to us are always good. Yes, there may be a bit of discipline in it, but it's still for our good. You may squeal a little bit, but if you'll keep coming to Him, it's for your good. If you rebel against it, There's this particular term, which I won't repeat here, they use to describe people who won't let God work in their life. But one of the things they forfeit is inheritance. There's no inheritance to a son of the Father who won't let the Father work in their life. Whatever is happening now, for many, God is trying to do something in your life. Let Him do it. Welcome Him doing it. Even though it might be painful, it's only for a short time, then it works for you an eternal weight of glory while you keep looking ahead. Now, you see, the only way you can walk through hard times is if you look ahead with hope. See? At the cross, 
Disciples looked at the cross, saw Jesus buried, and said, well, that's the end of it. We had three years of miracles, three years of ministry, been a great journey. We might as well go home now. And so they did. Some went fishing. Others went off to another town, sit in the hot pool and drink wine. You know, but Jesus met with them and showed them, it is not over unless you give up. And they were directed back to the place. Now, I want you to have a look at another thing. Third thing that it says there, it says, we're cut off from our parts. In other words, you need to understand this one. Uh, here it is. It says, we're cut off. It means disconnected from relationship. Here's what it means. It means to feel isolated, to feel disconnected and rejected. Now, when you go through spiritual conflict, you do face all of those three things. Three things. Every time there's a spiritual conflict, the conflict is about who you are in Christ, about the destiny and inheritance Christ has for you and your ability to hold into it. And so notice the three things that characterize a spiritual conflict. Number one, you begin, to, you begin to be wounded in your spirit and start to feel dried up. Number two, you begin to lose hope for your future, you lose vision for your future, and you begin to just feel depressed. And the third one is the consequence of the first two, you begin to draw away from people and from God. Prayer life diminishes, you start to disconnect from God, and you begin to disconnect from people. Let me tell you what is the crucial things to be happening in our lives right now is to be connecting with one another. Connection, see, in isolation, that's where darkness thrives. In connection, you, you become refreshed by being in connection with people and getting a godly perspective. The only disconnection you need to have is where people are poisoned with bitterness and what comes out of their mouth is bitter. You need to just stop it in its tracks or it will disconnect you. It's part of the conflict. It's part of learning how to walk godly, how to walk godly in Christ. The Bible says everyone who walk godly in Christ will go through difficulties and sufferings, but God will use it for your good, good things. Amen? Okay, so that's it. So here's the question then. Hey, God looks down there and he's, he's, here's the thing I love about God. He doesn't mince what it's like. He said, look out here. Let me show you what's going on here. He said, here it is. Look at it. Dry bones. Cut off, no hope. What do you reckon, Ezekiel? Any chance of this changing? And Ezekiel's smart man. Well, you, Lord, no. You, Lord, no. Now, I want you to get God's perspective. Because remember, God thinks, God thinks redemptively. So when God looks at any situation where everyone else declares defeat and failure, this is what God says. He says something completely different. Notice what he says. We'll find it down here. And uh, notice who's going to be responsible for this happening. It says here, Verse 12, prophesy, say, thus says the Lord God, behold, O my people. Notice God identifies. He said, we are his people. He identifies with us. Now he says, look at this. He said, I will open up your graves. I'll cause you to come out of your graves. I will bring you into the land of Israel. And you'll know I'm the Lord when I've opened your graves. I'll put my spirit in you and you will live. And I'll place you in your land and you'll know that I, the Lord, have spoken this and no, no. Now notice this, God's heart was not to punish them. He didn't look at them and say, you blew it. It's no wonder you're there dried up. You made a terrible mistake. You deserve to be there. Or I'm going to leave you there. He didn't say anything like that. He said, listen, Ezekiel, you want to hear how this is going to be? Prophesy to them and tell them what I will do. Notice this is about what God will do. It's because God will do it because he loves people. You've got to get this thinking around your life. God loves people. You see a mess. People see a mess. God sees a great future. 
That's because he's God and he can make a great future happen because he's always thinking great future for you. He says, I will open up the graves and I'll get them out of the graves. Now, in the, what the, the word grave there referred to, the grave meant they were in captivity, they were in bondage, they were held oppressed, they were in a place there was no, you know something, there's no way for a dead man to get himself out of the grave. It takes the power and person of God. This is what God's saying. I can come into death and resurrect it and make it come alive again. If your dreams have died, God can resurrect them. If your hopes have died, God can resurrect them. If the things that you have put your life into seem to have come to death, God can raise them again. I will open the graves and expose all that corruption and I'll bring them up out of it. Number one, deliverance. He'll deliver us from the bondage of captivity. Number two, he said, I will bring them into their land. In other words, I'll get you back into the promises of God. I'll get you back into the realm of the Spirit. For Israel to go back into the land was to go to a natural land, a promised land. For us to go back to the land is to get out of carnal thinking, out of defeat, out of depression, out of being beaten down, and into a place where back in the Spirit and the joy of the Lord is flowing. The peace of God is in our life. The fruit of the Spirit are in our life again. That's for us the promised land. For you, the promised land are God's promises being fulfilled in your life. For you, the promised land is the fruit of the Spirit flowing in you. While I'm joying in the Lord, there is peace in my heart. I love people. I'm not reacting to anyone because my life and hope are in God Himself. This is a change in us, a change in how we're doing life. Isn't that fantastic? He said, and I'll put my Spirit on you. Now, of course, He's already put His Spirit in us. So what that means, I think, is it saying, I will make a fresh impartation of the Holy Ghost into you. He said, everyone, now notice this, it's what God will do. It's nothing about what we can do. That's all about what God says he's going to do. Now, let me ask you this question. Do you think that the God who spoke to the bones of Israel in that captivity and spoke and prophesied, I'll open the graves and make you live, and I'll bring you into your land, and I'll put my spirit in you, do you think he's capable of doing that? Well, he did it, didn't he? They were in Babylon. They came out of Babylon, went back to their own country, and the Holy Spirit came and visited them. They had the visitations of God and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. They got everything that God promised. You think he can do that for you then? Think he can do that for us? Is it a different God there than the one we have? It's the same God. The same God that took Israel out of Babylon when there's no way of getting out, and he made a decree to a king, said, let them all go, and let them have treasure. Let them go back and build the temple. That God is the God we serve. There's no situation too difficult for him. Your situation is not too difficult. What is needed? This is what God says. I will do it. I'll raise you up. I'll put you into the place of the Spirit. I will restore you. I'll put my Spirit in you. So what's our part then? Well, it's definitely not being passive and doing nothing. See, God wanting us to see. When he he says three I wills there, what he's saying is that all of those promises are something that Christ won for us on the cross. On the cross, he has already paid the price for sin and failure. He's paid the price to rescue us out of bondage. In fact, now not only the bondages of the past, but any in the future as well. He's got them all stitched up. Everything stitched up. So what he's saying is, I've already done the work. Will you believe? Will you position yourself to receive? He says, I'll bring you into the land of promise. He's already done it. 
when he poured out his spirit, he's already positioned us in Christ. We have access because in him are all the promises of God. He's also positioned us for fresh impartations of the Holy Spirit. Man, what a deal. So what part do we have? Well, it's not nothing. There's always something that's required of us. It's not to do the work. It's to believe. It's to actually believe God. It's to believe God. It's to repent of negative thinking, of failure thinking, defeat thinking, and believe what God says. And so, uh, interesting enough, because Ezekiel said, well, I don't know, Lord, you know, you tell me. And so, now notice what God said to him to do. Get this. God told him to do something. So, so for all of this to take place, there was something he had to do. There are a couple of things he had to do, actually. And they're the same things God requires of us. Here's what he had to do. Number one, he had to hear the voice of God. He had to hear what God was saying. had to stop looking at the negatives and hear what God had to say. had to stop looking at natural, impossibility of the nation being delivered, and to look at what God had to say. It's the same for us. Our first positioning is, God, what are you saying to me through your word? Show me your perspective on this. Let me see what you're doing. You know, Jesus said, in John 5, 19, he said, I do only the things I see the Father doing. So the first thing is seeing or hearing what God is saying. Second thing is, you've got to give voice to it. You've got to give voice to what God is saying. You've got to give voice. The problem is the majority are silent. The Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. If you believe what God has said is true about you and your future and your life and about us and our future, speak it. And when someone's saying something different, speak what God is saying. That's how you deal with things. You've got to learn to speak. So he said to him, prophesy. Now to prophesy means to speak out of the flow of the Spirit the words God has given you. Prophesy into your situation. Prophesy into the circumstances. Prophesy, 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 prophesy. This is what our roots are, prophetic movement. Prophesy. Speak what God says, not what people think. Well, I think this. Well, I think that. Well, I think, oh, I'll get on the phone. I'll tell people what I think. And on it goes. Now, listen, that's not how you build godliness. That's not how you build your future. Say, what does God have to say? I will speak that, and I will speak it into my circumstances. Jesus prophesied and spoke. He spoke the word which carried power to release people. Right, and Sharon, we're up, in, up at uh, Stan's church up there, uh, a few weeks ago, took a camp, and they're still telling me now that something prophetic has come on the church. People are hearing the voice of God and starting to speak what God is saying to them. Their church is changing. He said, now in the older course, we're getting people coming up every week, and they're staying there, and people are being ministered to. Why? Because they're hearing the voice of God. God is speaking to them. So notice what he had to do. The first thing he had to do was he positioned himself to hear what God was saying. Secondly, I noticed there, he heard what God was saying and got God's perspective. So what was God's perspective? Hey, he says, Ezekiel, see all those dry bones? This is what you do to the dry bones. Bones live. See, bones live. Speak to them, prophesy to them. And he said, the moment he spoke, the Spirit of God started to move and gather them together, bone to his bone. So you've got to first of all position yourself to hear God, listen to what He has to say, then start to give voice to what God is saying into your life, into your circumstance, into your situation. When I come into the church to pray on the weekends before the meeting, I speak into the atmosphere. 
Every day when I get up and pray, I speak life into myself. See, from my spirit. You can speak from your spirit into your soul. David spoke into his soul. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. See, he's sp- telling the soul to, 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 to arise and speak like God spoke. So, we need to get God's word in our heart and begin to speak his perspective over our life and circumstances. And that means silencing when there's something contrary coming. Why? Because the contrary coming reinforces what is. It's about the past. It's about what is. When you take the word of God and you begin to speak it, it's not about what is. It's about what will be coming into being. I have prophesied. I've spoken over my own life. In the last year, I've spoken over a number of aspects of my life. And every one of those areas, I've seen change in a year. Prophesy over yourself. Speak over yourself. Speak God's word over your own life. Speak and define over your life. I began to define how the gift of prophetic would operate. I began to define a number of things about my future. Speaking what God has shown me. Speaking it and agreeing with it. Am I seeing it yet? Yes, I meditate and speak it until I see it. And then it just starts to happen. It happens so easily. It happens so very easily. Like I have spoken over my life that my hands just carry the power of God. The presence of God is with me everywhere I go, that I'm actually an open gateway for heaven. And so I am. Everywhere I go, I can just, don't need to pray. I can just speak God's words just like that. Because I've taken a year of praying to do that, to build something in my life. Now, we're at a stage now, we've been through a a warfare and a conflict in the spirit. It's not people. It's actually a spiritual conflict for our future. Now's the time to begin to build, to build, to build. So what he did was he positioned himself to hear God. He listened to what God had to say and wrapped his heart around it and gave voice to what God was saying. And then I'm sure that he became a part of it. We need to connect. Just connect, encourage one another with the words of God. You say, man, we have great days ahead of us. Great days ahead of us. Extremely great days ahead of us, but they'll be different. So we're not hankering for something old. We want the new that God is wanting to do. We want the new that God is wanting to do. I wish I knew all that it looked like, but I tell you something I see. I see a people rising up. In the 1950s, there was a move of God that restored evangelists, and evangelists became very big and very prominent, then they all fell. And then there was a season in the 70s or something like that where there were pastors began to be raised up, and there was a pastoral movement in home groups, and everyone wanted to be a pastor. And then in the 70s, around about the 70s, there came a move to raise up teachers. And there were catechisms and teachers and all kinds of, everyone wanted to be a teacher, teach the Word of God, uh, even though it says don't do that because you'll be judged more severely. And then uh, prophets, but everyone wanted to be a teacher because that was the thing to be. And so you throw a stone into the church, you'll, meet a te- you'll hit a teacher for sure. And uh, then that all moved and it became prophets. Everyone wanted to be a prophet. Everything was about prophets and prophetic movements. And blah, 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 blah. It wanted to be a prophet. It was all about being a prophet. And then uh, about the late 90s and 2000s, it was about the apostles. And, oh, this great thing about apostles. They want to be apostle. Oh, man, here you throw a stone in the church. You'll meet the, it'll hit an apostle for sure. And, uh, or someone who thinks they're an apostle. And this is what's been going on for a long time. But listen, all of that is a progression of God restoring. Now, it's very, you've got to ask yourself, where does it all go? What is it all about? You know, well, we're, we've been about evangelists. Well, let's sort of finish, and then about this and about that. And apostles, well, what next? And here's what is next. It's absolutely so clear, because it's so clear God has been restoring in that way. Here's what it is. He will raise up fivefold ministry gifts, which he's done, 
for the equipping of the saints that they may engage in the work of the kingdom. That they may engage. God has a work for you to do. You may be in a valley and be very dry and have lost your hope and be cut off. But our God that we serve, He can breathe upon you. Life into your spirit. Life into you. And raise you up. Activate your dreams again. You know, Brian was up there sharing today. uh, And Brian, I met first, met Brian. He was a cook. He was a baker. Now... There's Brian sharing all the things God's doing. What he didn't share was at Christmas time, he's got about 80 people coming in. He's connected with a local butcher. They're going to be feeding 80 people at Christmas time. Now, that's, that's not a ministry that we have set up. That is the saints pursuing the desire of their heart and doing something to influence the community. I wonder what dreams you've got in you. I wonder what is inside you that needs to be awoken inside. You may be lying down there dry in the desert, separated, disconnected without hope, But let the Spirit of God speak into you the words of life and start to step up and dare to dream again. Dare to dream of the things of God. You're not too old to fulfill those dreams. Not too old. No, the best is ahead. The best is ahead. But make sure that you get connected to God. It's important what you're listening to. I'm listening to God, listening to His voice. Come on, and we close our eyes right now. Father, we thank you for all you were saying and all that you were doing right now. We thank you for the movement of your spirit. We thank you for the very power and presence of God. Father, I just speak over every person here in this church today and over those who are listening over the internet. Father, I speak as Ezekiel spoke, words of hope and life. I speak into the spirit of every person cast down. Live in Jesus' name. Live. Stand up again. And they rose up and they stood up and become connected and stood a mighty army of God. I speak into lost hopes and dreams. Live in Jesus' name. I speak into those disconnected. Join and connect in Jesus' name. Father, let your power flow. Let your spirit flow. I'd love you just to make your way to the front, those who feel God's been speaking to them in this, uh, this meeting. And I'd love you to lift your hands. I believe the Spirit of God's going to blow on you afresh. The Bible says when Ezekiel prophesied, Come, O breath, breathe on these slain that they may live. And God's Spirit came. So notice, God does the work, but we always have a part in it. To believe and give voice to God's Word and participate with Him in the answers. You say amen? Come on, let's stand together today. There'll be some of you who are dry, some of you needing a touch of God, some of you today who are wounded, some of you lost hope. Why don't you make your way to the front and say, God, I'm lifting my heart to you. I'm lifting my hands to you. Come, 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 Lord. Come, Lord. Come, come, come. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus.